everyone to SNMA Presents The Lounge. This is a special episode. It's one of our interview episodes where today we have Dr. Jasmine Weiss in the lounge with us today. And so just to introduce her, Dr. Jasmine Weiss is a pediatrician and assistant professor of general pediatrics and adolescent medicine at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. Along her journey to her medical career, she received her undergraduate degree in biology, pre-medicine at Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, or also known as FAMU, graduating summa cum laude. She went on to attend Duke University School of Medicine, where she obtained her doctorate in medicine while serving as co-president of Student National Medical Association. She later attended Emory School of Medicine for a pediatric residency training, where she served as chief resident. In addition, Dr. Weiss received her master's in health sciences at Yale Medical School through the National Clinician Scholar Program in June 2021 to pursue work for, workforce diversity research. Dr. Weiss is the founder of iDream Enterprise, co-founder of Let's Diversify, and the author of the children's book entitled, What Will Cami E. Be? She continues to care for pediatric patients and their families in North Carolina while pursuing a career as a physician researcher. Thank you and welcome again, Dr. Weiss, to the lounge. Thank you. I appreciate that introduction. No problem. Um, so just to start off, we're just going to ask a general question. And can you just talk about your journey to medicine and the spark that led you to becoming a physician? Absolutely. So um, for me, becoming a pediatrician was a lifelong dream. I knew pretty young, actually, that I wanted to pursue pediatrics and medicine. And it all really stems from um, my severe asthma as a child and being a preemie baby. So uh, just as a story, I remember on my peds rotation being in the NICU the first time and thinking, oh, wow, this is what my mom used to describe. Like, this is what it was like for me being this tiny in the NICU. And kind of that carried me through and... I just realized very early on that pediatricians always help me feel better. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for adding that personal anecdote, because I think that's a lot of people who enter medicine is just being inspired early on by medicine. Mm -hmm. So it's good to know that you also had that similar story. And so just given that this is an SNMA owned podcast and uh, SNMA promoted um details and events that we talk about, I just wanted to kind of circle back to your involvement with SNMA as a medical student at Duke. Um, how did your involvement with the SNMA kind of affect your medical experience and how does it continue to impact your career today? Oh, that's a great question. I think SNMA was just a huge part of my journey as a medical student. I think the camaraderie, the support amongst the other students with me, my friends now to this day, you know, I still interact and engage with my uh, friends who are now my colleagues from SNMA um, and being able to, you know, build your leadership experience in different ways, whether it was first chairing the resident or the medical student diversity committee through SNMA um, and really being in uh, playing a part in the recruitment, which kind of has a lot to do with my career when you think about where I've gone. And so, you know, not only just having the opportunity as a med student, but even as a college student, I was a member of MAPS and got to go to the SNMA conferences and really just building that network and, and getting that guidance from, from very early on that continues now. 
Right. And I think you mentioned something so important, which is the guidance aspect of medical school, which as black people in medical school, that's just something that's so unnecessary, given that we're so few and far in between in the field. Mm -hmm. And so given that, I kind of want to also know, you had the positive push with SNMA and the support, but what has been some of those challenging chapters you've encountered in your medical training thus far and what continues to keep you motivated? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you know, like you said, as black as black students, as black residents, as now I'm, as a black member of the faculty here, I think you're always encountering um, bias, microaggressions, racism outright. You're, you're seeing how patients are treated. Um, and it's not always that way, but it doesn't take but one instance to feel the weight of that and the heaviness of that for a patient and for yourself. And so I think some of my most challenging times, actually, I'd say stem from as a resident in my class in particular, I was the only black woman. And so even though I was in, you know, a city filled with black people in Atlanta, in my particular class, it just so happened that there wasn't a lot of diversity. And so that really sparked my interest in workforce diversity and inclusion. And how do we make it better? And how do we make sure that our patients are how do we make sure our professional faculty and training programs look like the patients we serve? And right. so, um, you know, it was a challenge, right? When you are starting as an intern, you need all the support you can get. And right. to be fair to my residents, they were fantastic. My co-residents were great. It's just the fact that there wasn't anyone that looked like me that I could identify with in my class. Um, and so th that's when the faculty stepped in though. I must give them a lot of credit, a lot of credit to my mentors um, where I trained. I feel like they, they recognize it and immediately they, they actually like had a dinner where they invited myself and there was a peds neuro resident who was also a black woman. They invited us to the only two in the whole you know program just to sit down and talk and say, we see you, we hear you. We didn't even notice, but now we do and we got to do something about it. So that's that network that really is important as you proceed. And that's amazing. And it's clear that these mentors and these people who have pushed you can like help to propel you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've received so many honors over the course of your career. You've graduated summa cum laude. You're a New Century Scholar, Anne's Jack's Excellence in Primary Care Award, and Resident of the Year, just to name a few of all the accomplishments you had. Which of those are you most proud of and why? Mm -hmm. I think the Ann Jake's Award. I think that mm -hmm. one... It was awarded by my residency program for excellence in primary care. And that just showed to me, it was all about the patients. And I wanted to be there for the patients. Again, Atlanta, Georgia, you can imagine, you got people who look just like my grandma, my auntie, my mom, my dad, you know, that's who I'm caring for. And I love everybody, care for everybody the same, but it's just, a, it hits different, right? It's a special connection that you can build. And so to be recognized for, um, excelling in that area was something that was really special to me. Yeah, that's amazing. Talking about your roots and kind of how getting that award helped to kind of solidify your place in medicine and, and your passion. I think that's really important. And, you know, you mentioned earlier and earlier on kind of how you got into diversity, equity, inclusion works and like the, how that's a, another big um, mission that you continue to push forward. Um, can you actually speak more to one of your platforms, um, iDream Enterprise? How did that idea come about? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So iDream is really an online platform that does what we're talking about, inspires students to pursue impactful health careers. And I think we know this, obviously, with SNMA, the more you can do, the younger you can start, the more likely people are to see the opportunities that are available. And so, you know, my mission with the platform is to take what we you know, know to be true and provide that virtual connection for as many students as possible. You know, I remember growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, my parents were very supportive of me wanting to be a physician. And I remember fast forwarding to Duke and we had these programs that were available. And I was like, do you guys know my mom and dad would have driven two and a half hours to have me in this program on Saturdays? But it just didn't exist in Charlotte. Right? It didn't exist two and a half hours away. And so that's really where the foundation for iDream comes. And this was pre-pandemic that the idea was, you know, constructed and thought of is that, you know, we need to reach as many students, whether you're right in close proximity to a medical school or not. You know, we need to come up with a systematic platform that helps to reach everyone. And that's where it was really, really founded. That's amazing. And honestly, I can only imagine how much work and effort you had to put towards kind of building that. Mm -hmm. And so with that, was there any limitations or frustrations kind of along that specific quest to diversify medicine, especially through this platform? Oh, yeah, there's plenty. They're ongoing. (laughs) That's part (laughs) of it. Because I'm not only, you know, the beauty and joy of medicine and especially academics is, you know, I'm a physician researcher, but then I'm an entrepreneur and author of a children's book, right? So, it's a constant balance between connecting with schools, balancing the programming that we're doing, trying to get more students engaged, having I dream experts from just a variety of careers, not just physicians. So, you know, every health career you can think of has this kind of lack of diversity and inclusion in it. And so really just thinking and being thoughtful about how do you scale a company? I'm, I'm right in the, the thick of it for those things. Right. Right. And you're continuing to, to, you know, push through despite all of those other things that you have to kind of juggle. So Mm -hmm. kudos to you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of um, coming to now your just current career as assistant professor, correct? Um, Mm -hmm. Having completed your formal training and now serving in that role, what do you think are some of those um, obstacles that physicians kind of continue to face during their training? being that you've experienced it, as well as what do you also see for just the greatest potential for improvement in dealing with that? Oh, these are great questions. I think no matter where you are, one thing I've learned by being at so many different institutions is there's always room for improvement when it comes to not only just representation, which is a huge part, but patient care, anti-bias training, anti-racism, really acted out in a practical, from a practical perspective, right? We can sit in the lectures, all of us, right? We can go to the DI events, but then it has to translate into equitable care for everybody. And how do we make sure that we're doing that in an interdisciplinary way is something that's important too, because we're getting our training and all of our colleagues are getting training in their various programs. So when it comes together, what does it look like that we're actually working together and treating all the patients with the kindness and respect that they deserve. So I think we always have room for improvement. I think, um, you know, for me, it's, it's a, it's an interesting balance. The reason I chose to be a researcher on top of my clinical responsibilities is because I want to help build the evidence, right? Why is this important? Why is this critical? Um, 
And I also want to look at the early pipeline, right? So my work a lot of times focuses on pre-medical students and and specifically on historically black colleges and the contributions of pre-medical students from HBCUs. And so, you know, there's a lot to dig into there because if we don't work at a younger stage, we'll all still be grasping at straws from a residency program perspective and a fellowship program perspective. We'll be fighting over the same phenomenal applicants. So we got to get more phenomenal applicants. You know, and I think literally what you stated is a perfect segue into my next question because <laughs> there's so you mentioned kind of just the the difficulty of trying to find the best candidates, especially when it comes to black candidates and like what are the ways we can uh, kind of recruit earlier on? You're talking about pipeline programs and all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think even within um, the process after medical school, which is the match, right, We we know how of a difficult slash traumatizing experience it can be for some people who don't mm -hmm. get to match. Sometimes it's due to factors beyond people's control, such as if they do couples match, or maybe, you know, they didn't get the right score to match to a competitive specialty, or even mm -hmm. something as simple as just the fact that there's not enough slots for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there was actually a Senate bill, uh, for resident physician shortage reduction act of 2021, which was introduced last year that would allow for an additional 2000 resident positions per fiscal year, starting in 2023. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of just help combat that res resident shortage. So how likely do you think something like that is going to pass, um, in Congress? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I'm hopeful, right? We need it, mm -hmm. right? There's yeah. there's been a shortage for a long time. And one of the things I got to do as a resident at Emory was um, I actually got to go to Capitol Hill in D.C. and lobby mm -hmm. on for behalf of increasing residency positions. It was for the state of Georgia, but that mm -hmm. really helped me realize how our voices matter. And mm -hmm. I mean, our voices matter whether you're a medical student, a resident fellow or on faculty or in a private practice. It was really something I remember walking around the Capitol. We had our white coats on, which was already strange in itself. Right. You're here with all of these political, you know, um, individuals and you have your white coat on. So everybody's like, who are these people? Right. Walking around. But it really taught me the value of our perspective, especially when getting these bills passed, right? We have stories to tell that these legislators need to hear, right? They need to hear what our experiences are, what our patients are feeling, um, what we need. And I think the more we do that, the more likely we are to help at least um, put our best effort forward to have them pass the bill. So I'm hopeful that they pass it because we need more, more trainees. I'm definitely hopeful. I'm, I'm with you as well. I, I think you actually alluded to the, just the importance of kind of, you know, elevating our voice and, and making sure that they know all of the barriers that we face. What do you actually think some of those barriers are in act in just increasing the number of residency spots? Uh, I think funding, right? I think that's the, a big limiting step. Uh, I know there's different breakdowns and different programs, but hospitals have their portion that they're paying for all the salaries. And then we need the federal funding and state funding to pay for more. So I think that's just the first limiting step is needing the finances to, to accommodate the, the number of professionals and trainees that we need. Um, the next step is continuing to advocate and talk about it. I think it's on not only on us, but we do have to take the responsibility we can take to raise our voices and say why we need more. Um, you know, the work hours, yes, there's been a reduction over time, but it's still a hefty load for, for our trainees. And so, you know, it's no fun to be that tired resident. So if we can get some more, some more, get the cavalry to come a little bit more, we'd appreciate it. 
Right. <laughs> no, and you you definitely alluded to this. You just said like we have to advocate more for ourselves. Any ideas as to other ways we can advocate for ourselves? There's Congress. What about thoughts of like a uh, union? People have been talking about any other ideas that you you think would be feasible? I mean, listen, I'm I'm all for organizing and advocacy. I think professional organizations have a big role to play. I think um, you know your state's legislator and 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 raising awareness with your senators is important. Your house reps are important. So it's a, it's not as challenging as we think. We just don't know that our voices really matter and we need to continue to organize around that. Right. That's, that's actually a very powerful and true statement that we kind of let miss over our heads. So thank you for, for making sure to, um, to, to tell that to our listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, so just in general, just general advice, how can we as medical students and doctors early on in our careers continue to make space for others and just expand upon the number of diverse physicians in the workforce, which touches on all of the initiatives and missions you continue to lead? Mm, great question. I think just continuing to first represent ourselves the way we always do. We, we, we are resilient, we're kind, we're brave, we're courageous, we're thoughtful, we're intelligent. We really bring a lot to patient care and it's important we keep doing that part. I do think we can all think of a person who may say, hey, I'm interested in medicine. You can grab them by the arm and keep pulling them along. And right. the way I do that, um, ironically in my doctor's visits, you know, when I'm seeing my patients, I, I ask them, you know, what do you wanna be when you grow up, right? And, mm -hmm. The conversations, sometimes they know exactly what they want to do. And other times nobody's even asked them before. Right. And so right. from then on, it's pretty much I'm going to call them Dr. Such and Such for the rest of the visit. Just to impress in their minds that like you can do this, too. Right. So any opportunity you have as a as a trainee, as a student to to share your journey from where you are right now, you can motivate someone. Right. And it really does start from just us and continuing to push through with that motivation. So thank you uh, for alluding to that. So I do have, of course, uh, my own personal question. Um, I think it's so amazing that you wrote a children's book. That's like <laughs> phenomenal. I, I know I'm going to write in the future. I just don't know what, like, but I want you to kind of talk about that. Like what led you to writing a children's what? book? Mm -hmm. what, where'd you get the inspiration from? You know, all of that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so What Will Kimmy E. B. is uh, my first children's book, and I'm excited about it. It was just launched uh, recently. And I actually wrote the story as a resident. And so that's just another testament, right? Like, I remember jotting it down. I still have the notebooks, just, you know, every once in a while, jotting down the next, you know, image that would come to mind for Cammy, right? And so the inspiration really comes from my childhood and my desire to inspire children, right? That's why I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm a pediatrician, right? It's because I get to, to connect with children and their families and their parents and caregivers. And so I wanted to inspire them to say, you can do what you'd like to do. And there's really no limit to what you can achieve. And, you know, for, with iDream, we like to say, we want to dream without limits. And that's what I wanted Cammy to show the world that you can be a little black girl that is dreaming of being, uh, an astronaut or a doctor or whatever else you want to do. And so that's why I wrote the story. And that's beautiful. And so many kids across are just going to be inspired just because they have that as an initial testament as, Hey, this is what I can do. It's, it's achievable. It's possible. And I think that's really important. Yeah. You know, Dr. Weiss, you've 
touched on so many things. You've brought so much of your perspective and just kind of what led you to where you are today. And we're so grateful here on the lounge. So just before I let you go, can you kind of let us, uh, our listeners know how to best reach you? What are your social media or email or however you like to be connected? Yeah, sure. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's jasmine.weiss89. My company though is easy to remember is I dream to be. So I dream the number two be. You can follow me on Twitter that way or Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn that way or by my name. So I'm always available by email there. If there's any student, please reach out to me, DM me. It doesn't matter. I'll find time to connect with you because I just, again, I know the importance of having support. And even when you may not want to reach out to someone at your own institution, you've got someone right here um, that's willing and, and ready to help out if I can. So. Thank you so much for that. And I know everyone on the lounge is grateful as well. So once again, this was Dr. Jasmine Weiss. Thank you so much again for coming on the lounge. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into this special interview episode. We'll catch you at the next lounge episode.